I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers on KLCC. My guest today is Carrie Lieberman, the Executive Director of Green Hill Humane Society. Last year, Green Hill reunited or found new homes for nearly 3,000 pets in our community. Carrie Lieberman, the Executive Director of Green Hill Humane Society, thanks so much for coming on. Sure, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, let's start from the very beginning. Uh, talk about your career and, and what led you to become the Executive Director of Green Hill. Sure, that's a pretty common question because most <laughs> of us in the nonprofit world come at it kind of sideways. Sure. Um, I first moved to Eugene a little over 30 years ago. Um, to study cross-cultural social psychology. Hmm. I received my master's here from the University of Oregon. And um, I actually, my parents raised me to um, be involved in the community. So um, actually going all the way back into high school, I was uh, volunteering for a local humane society. Um, this is before, believe it or not, uh, Facebook and the internet. Wow, the dark times. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I uh, used my little dot matrix printer and I printed out adoption flyers for <laughs> the local humane society and, and my parents and I went around and distributed them. When I moved here um, to go to grad school, I connected with Green Hill back then. Mm. So I've actually uh, been a volunteer uh, with Green Hill going all the way back more than 30 years ago. And um, so I got my master's in cross-cultural social psychology, um, decided that the research field that it was wasn't um, that exciting for me. And really, I wanted to work with people and do more other things out there. And so I... Um, I went from that to managing a driving school, unbelievably. Um, the uh, owner of that driving school and I uh, developed a good business partnership, and we ended up buying um, two restaurants. Wow. And then opened a third restaurant. Um, and all that time, I was still volunteering for Green Hill and some <laughs> other local animal welfare organizations. And somewhere in there, about seven years into owning that restaurant, those restaurants, I realized I really had a passion for animals and mm. nonprofits. And I sold those, those businesses and um, became Green Hill's first development director. Um, Green Hill had been around for, since 1944, but never really had a fundraising arm. And, mm. and I, um, I joined that. Um, and actually... I should say also in, in 2001, I joined the board of directors um, actually first. So I was um, a volunteer um, up at the board level um, of the organization and uh, realized the right thing to do was uh, kind of quit my restaurant career and go into nonprofits. Um, and so I did that actually for about two years. Um, ultimately, actually left Green Hill for a, a short period of time. Hmm. I became um, the marketing director for Burley Design, local uh, sure. company here, when it was still a co-op, which was um, a very exciting time. A hundred people owning the, uh, the actually last manufacturing co-op in the in the country. Um, it, I helped it through its uh, transition to private ownership. I left that. Um, and became a, um, a development researcher for the University of Oregon. So I did some uh, development work for the University of Oregon. Mm. Um, and then the position for, of executive director opened up for Green Hill Humane Society. That was 16 years ago, um, actually next month. Wow. 
and um, I've been Green Hills Executive Director for the past 16 years. Hmm. You know, it's interesting listening to you talk, and, and you certainly had a lot of private business experience, too. And I know, you know, a lot of times non- nonprofit leaders come from that world. And yeah. I, I'd ask, you know, kind of what were, especially like owning a restaurant or something, because I think as many of us can imagine, that can be a very frenetic and very challenging uh, occupation. Um, you know, it's almost become so much so that we're seeing all sorts of shows about how crazy, yes. you know, a restaurant business can be. What were some of the lessons that you learned in, in that environment that have helped you now in, in at Greenhill? Right. I actually, um, the experience in the restaurants in particular um, were, was extremely helpful um, because it's, it's all about customer service. Um, in fact, many people say that restaurants are the hardest industry, but I, I would venture and, and say that actually nonprofits are the hardest industry. Hmm. Um, but, but definitely that, um, that connection to, um, to fulfilling a need um, you know, understanding what it takes to uh, to to keep a a team together, to keep a business afloat. That um, particularly at the higher level of leadership um, or ownership of a of a restaurant or any other business, uh, you have to have really long term vision. Mm-hmm. Um, every business has ups and downs. Um, they have you know, good seasons and bad seasons, and and understanding how to balance revenue and expenses, understanding the importance of keeping a really good team together, um, and understanding how to deliver your mission in a way that um, is received well by by the community that you're serving. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, in a lot of nonprofits, it seems like a a fairly... um, predictable career path is is from development director into the top job because obviously development director you know obviously so much of a nonprofit's uh, need is to find the money to keep the lights on to keep the services going what was um what was give us both um something that was surprising in your trajectory from development director to the executive director position and and maybe what was the biggest challenge going from you know the development side to you know having your 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 eyes and ears on the entire operation yeah that's that's a good question and i so i'll say too i have experience with green hill from a volunteer position of just person that came in you know once a week and cleaned kennels <laughs> to a board position where I um, actually when I joined the board we were without an executive director and I was one of the board members that helped hire an executive director mm-hmm. um, I then went from the board position which is a volunteer leadership position a little bit at a distance from the organization to then working within the organization very closely with donors to the organization as development director and and then that experience was was eye-opening because it brought back all the passion, all the reasons that I first got involved as a volunteer. Like I wanted to help animals. I wanted to help this organization. I wanted to help our community. And when going out and talking with donors, that's exactly why they want to give. Okay. They don't necessarily have the time to give. They have other careers, other lives. They can't spend all of their time caring for animals. But what they can do is 
donate to the cause and, and make their wishes come true through their gifts. Now, what I learned was, as a development director was that sometimes all the passion and sometimes money <laughs> doesn't lead to the <clears throat> results that we want. And it does take a whole organization's commitment to get behind some of the visionary things that donors have, some of the visionary things that volunteers can bring to an organization. And, and unless everyone is on board with moving in that, that direction, it could be a challenge. And yeah. so that's actually why I left the organization the first time. Hmm. Um, when the position of executive director opened, it was actually a very natural fit for me because I was only involved with the organization because I cared about making really positive change. Sure. And so it was a delight to finally be in a position where I could connect my volunteer experience, volunteer, other volunteers, um, donor funds. I could connect it to actually doing what we wanted to do for animals. And, you know, all nonprofits in many ways have, have um, shifted and changed over the years. Animal welfare has, has been one that has been in this country for a little over 100 years now. Hmm. Um, in it, the very first connection was actually animals and children. <laughs> um, and and the, the idea was that there were literally animals and children that were not being cared for. And so the very first shelters sheltered both. Hmm. Um, it quickly broke, you know, to, <laughs> children went one direction and animals went the other direction. But it wasn't until decades later that veterinarians were actually introduced into the picture. Hmm. So it was about essentially sheltering animals, but kind of keeping them off the streets yeah. initially, right? And then suddenly people realized, well, maybe we should care for these animals. And so they brought that in. And then suddenly the animal shelters became actually the place where many communities dumped their animals. Hmm. And that, for around the country, it was universal. And that started to shift again in the late 70s, um, where people started to reconnect with the original mission of this is really about helping animals. This is really about making the community a healthier place. And shelters around the country started shifting in that direction. That was the vision that I had. That's the vision, honestly, that every single volunteer, every single donor wants to support. Like, we want to know that what we're doing is making the world, the animals, the mission better. Sure. And so as executive director, I was able to come in and say, this is, this is how we're going to do this. This isn't going to be a, a place now where animals aren't necessarily safe. It's not the dumping grounds. Hmm. And, and I, I've been blessed over the hand, last handful of years that we have been able to turn the organization into what I consider a care facility for animals and people, frankly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a truly amazing place where we have, we have um, trained all of our, our staff, volunteers on a program called Fear Free. Uh, it's a national program that introduces um, the concept that, that we, shouldn't, we shouldn't cause fear, mm. right? When we're trying to be helpful, Fear shouldn't be a component. So um, everyone is trained on proper care. The facility, actually, with a recent remodel, was designed to um, to be a, an enriching environment and a calming environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to take a break in just a second. But before that, I just wanted to ask you sort of briefly, you know, being the executive director, and you described quite eloquently about about 
the belief and the heart of the mission. Um, but as the boss, sometimes you have to lead both with heart and head because obviously heart can take you amazing places. But obviously, you know, if you, if you can't balance a budget or something like that, heart might, you know, not carry you forward. Talk a little bit about how you sort of, if for lack of a better phrase, sort of divide between those two motivations, heart versus head in terms of leadership. Sure. Um, I, yeah, balance that and that <laughs> constantly. So, um, so we have a, a, a nonprofit that is very much based around a heart. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it absolutely needs to be, um, have a, have a lot of professionalism in it. Um, certainly to balance an organization and, and to put this into perspective, when I first um, really came, became connected with the organization um, in 2001, the budget was about um, $500,000. There were about 12 employees. Hmm. There were uh, less than 50 volunteers on a regular basis. Wow. The organization is now um, uh, annual budget of $3.5 million. We have 50 employees, uh, including... Uh, two veterinarians, multiple certified veterinary technicians, um, and and we have about 300 monthly volunteers. Mm. Um, so it has grown significantly. Um, being able to manage that size and scope and all the relationships it takes um, absolutely involves um, kind of a, a thoughtful, intelligent approach to it. Um, it and at the same time, I would say our, the root of what we do is about compassion and respect. It's also about working with species that are, they don't speak English, right? <laughs> like our clients don't speak English. And, and, or any language. Oh, right, or any, yeah. <laughs> so, so what we do is really, we listen, hmm. right? We have to help provide healing care to creatures that can't tell us exactly what's going on. Mm. And, and again, kind of goes back to my, why I first came to Eugene in cross-cultural social psychology, which is, which is really the, the, um, the study of people in groups, the cross-cultural element to that adds the concept of perhaps individuals and in groups behave or think differently depending on what culture they come from. Hmm. So, so much of psychology is based around the community that was being studied and cross-cultural social psychology opens that lens up to understand that, that culture plays a part in this. Mm -hmm. The shared, you know, shared backgrounds play a part in it and and I bring that to what we do at Green Hill. Um, so, so involving others in decision making, involving others in solutions, it has been critical to making the organization successful and branching out into some of the areas that we're helping this community that goes far beyond the initial Green Hill just shelters animals and adopts them out. Sure. Um, we do so much more. Now. Sure, 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 sure. Well, let's take a, let's take a break. We're talking to the executive director of Green Hill, uh, Gar uh, Carrie Lieberman. We'll be right back.
I'm Barbara Dellenbach, host of KLCC's Oregon Grapevine. M. Jackson is a geographer and glaciologist. She says studying ice brings insights about the entire planet. We have pretty amazing ice all over this planet, and I think it's worth people spending some time. If you want to get to know a glacier, really you should just go sit in front of one and turn your phone off and just be with it for a while. Glaciers and Women in Science on KLCC's Oregon Grapevine at klcc.org. And we're back with Carrie Lieberman, the executive director of Green Hill. So, you know, it's it's interesting. I always think of, you know, when you talk about sort of the brands of the nonprofits in our community, Green Hill is, is certainly extremely well known. But for many people who maybe don't know the full picture, give us the 30,000 foot view of Green Hill and what you do and, and your mission and, 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 and kind of the day-to-day operations, if you will. Sure. So... At the heart of what we do is it's sheltering animals. Mm-hmm. So we um, we have a, a fairly new and updated uh, facility um, out near the airport on Green Hill Road. Um, on an annual basis, we're um, actually this year we're going to shelter over forty five hundred animals. Wow! Um, that's actually over a twenty percent increase of the year before. Uh, we perform uh, nearly three thousand surgeries. Um, it's spay neuter surgeries, but mm-hmm. also orthopedics, um, issues with eyes, a whole range of surgeries. Um, and and many people think of us as the adoption center. It's the place mm-hmm. you go to adopt an animal. Mm-hmm. But the reality is actually that that what we're doing more of is caring for animals that are owned um, and either lost. So we will reunite those animals with with their owners once uh, we can rematch them up, mm-hmm. um, or we shelter animals that are in um, we call it a crisis care program. So, if in our community there is an individual in crisis, um, and we've uh, for instance had a domestic violence assistance program um, since two thousand, where if there is an individual who is um, working with the Hope and Safety Alliance now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a pet, their um, pet can be sheltered at Green Hill confidentially um, until that crisis is kind of abated and people get back on their feet. Um, we do that if there's a, an emergency situation, if someone is um, in a car accident and has an animal with them, that uh, pet goes to Green Hill Humane Society and we, we shelter it until um, it can be either uh, reunited with the, the owner or given to a family member or something like that. Um, at any given time, we have about 150 animals in our system. Mm. And uh, we do involve foster families also. So there are 100 generous families out there who will uh, open their hearts and homes um, to um, neonatal ki- kittens, um, puppies that need a little extra time or attention. And they help support the care of, of the animals. Um, and as I said, it's about 150 um, at any given time. Um, we have, in recent years, expanded um, beyond just sheltering of animals to supporting um, individuals or pet, pet-owning families who need additional support. So we also have a pet pantry program. We work with a number of local nonprofits who uh, work more directly with the unhoused population, human population, to provide pet food and supplies to Mm. them as well to keep pets with people. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me in that you're you're one of the few nonprofits 
that you could you could you could make the case you have clients that cross species you 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 serve people but you also serve a large animal population boy what are the challenges there the the top challenges of that because obviously you're taking care of clients 24 7 feeding sheltering protecting them and so forth but then you're also dealing with every aspect of our society i would imagine that the people society right yeah so not including the people uh we uh normally care for about 18 different species (laughs) um so wow um, so with the, with the people, it's 19, <laughs> but yeah, our, our veterinarians have some challenges with that. Obviously, um, there is, uh, expertise required for different species, obviously, you know, reptiles require mm-hmm. different care than, than rabbits or cats. Um, the facility is designed for specialized housing for all the different species, um, what you're also alluding to, though, is is most of the work that we're actually doing is is for people, mm. right? Um, so, 4,500 animals that we bring in, essentially, that equates to at the very least, kind of two people for each animal. Mm. So, on an annual basis, we are interacting with over 10,000 people, um, and it's it's easier. It's, it's not easier, but it is, um, it's probably closer to 15,000 with all the questions that we wow. get as well. And, and yes, in every situation, the animals or, and the people are, are coming to us kind of with hearts open, um, crisis, trauma situations, and even on the adoption side, right? So even on the, the happiest side of, of what we, what we deal with, um, people are coming to the shelter to like with their hearts open hoping mm. to find that next family member hoping to you know uh, make that perfect match with a kitten or with a, a dog that needs them and um, and it is it's it's challenging on so many ways it can be extremely rewarding and extremely difficult mm. um, and you know fortunately our team is is a really great team we're compassionate to and take the time to listen and meet people and animals where they're at yeah you know this is i'm going to file this question under fair or not (laughs) it sometimes seems that people have such a connection with animals that they might even be more empathetic towards animals than than they might other people and and without any judgment at all but I, i i guess my question to you is as a leader how do you manage or help your staff because i would imagine there are real hardships there are really really sad times for a lot of your staff how do you kind of help them manage through it yeah that this is a a constant conversation so in a lot of helping professions um the veterinary profession being one of them animal care professions being one of them um the people drawn to this work um extremely empathetic um, they are often drawn to the work um, because they are, in fact, so empathetic that um, the connection with animals is easier than the connection with people. Hmm. Um, we do specifically hire and train to ensure that the people that we have um, working with us are, are capable of handling both. It's, it isn't um, a leadership position. It's, it's not... It's 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 not good for anyone if if the stress level 
of helping professions um, can't be handled. Well. Mm. And we really do um, work constantly on supporting each other in the organization. Um, as a leader, we're bringing in, or I'm bringing in training constantly. We um, have uh, an EAP, so an employee assistance program. It was a critical component to our healthcare that we provide for our employees. Um, as I said, we you know we have 50 employees. Um, we also have 300 volunteers, mm. um, and they they change frequently. We're in a university town, so. So a lot of them are, are not long-term volunteers, although we do have some volunteers who have been with us for a decade or more. Mm. Um, we extend that training um, to them as well um, and really work to make sure that we're supporting each other um, throughout throughout the process. Well, um, boy, yeah, I've asked a lot of people this question on, on a whole different, you know, uh, the full gamut of industries and professions and whatnot. Just briefly, what was it like managing during COVID? So that that's interesting. Um, we fortunately were able to pivot very quickly. Hmm. Um, we, right before COVID, received a very large donation of laptops. Um, we also, so we were able to essentially move all those employees that could do that work offsite. Um, you had a you know, great IT team um, and you know, someone on staff, actually, that was, was helping to lead this. And we were able to, um, to really pivot quickly. Hmm. Um, I, so the other thing about the Green Hill and, and what we do, right, is we are a care facility. The, we are bringing in constantly you know, animals from a variety of different backgrounds, uh, vaccine, vaccine state, um, uh, vaccine levels, things along those lines, right? So, so our entire facility is designed for cleanliness to ensure no transmission of disease. Mm. So that's the other component, right? Like, like a lot of us were wearing scrubs already and masks already. <laughs> this wasn't, wasn't a huge shift. Ahead of the us. curve. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I, I would say too, this is kind of, um, interesting from a leadership standpoint um you alluded to you know some of the challenges of even just working in the environment that we have with a, the emotionally challenged side of things um sometimes in building a team when you have an outside challenge to work on it allows you to work on the outside challenge instead of some of the internal challenges hmm. that happen and it's a good point and we were really able to like we didn't close for one day during COVID, we delivered our services the, at the exact same pace that we were prior. And in fact, we increased services during this time. We are nothing slowed down um, at all. And and the year of COVID was also the year of uh, the holiday farm fire sure. here, and the first time that this community has seen a large scale disaster of that sort. Um, it, it was also the year of of George Floyd. Sure. And the protests and whatnot. And yeah. yeah, that, and I would say also like a real eye-opening awareness, mm -hmm. finally, <laughs> that, that we need to see each other and that we need to take care of each other and that we need to listen to each other. And, and all of those things together, we worked really hard within the organization to make sure that everyone felt safe 
and cared for and supported. And, you know, so fortunate that, that at the time also the federal government saw that the PPP funding. Sure. Right? So sure. we were able to apply for that, receive it. It allowed us to spend the money that we needed to to keep our employees safe, to keep this community going. And, um, and I, I would say, you know, COVID's horrible. And it brought our organization together, and we're stronger because of that. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. My, my last couple of questions for you, you know, the first one is this, and I always feel like, you know, especially for a nonprofit, sometimes to really sort of understand the value that it brings is to imagine what would happen in a community if they didn't exist. And so kind of asking you that question in terms of if something, or not even something, if Green Hill didn't exist, what do you think would happen in this community? Sure, that's, um, that's a good question. Um, to put this into perspective, the animals now um, are uh, in the U.S. Uh, about 70 per, or 70% of all households own a pet. Mm. In general, for those households, it's more than two pets. So it's, it's like 2.1 dogs and 2.4 <laughs> cats. Um, and that, that's true of this community also. The thing that's somewhat unique about this community of its size is that we're the only shelter um, aside that will, that serves all of Lane County. Um, the only other shelter that's in Lane County is the Oregon Coast Humane Society that, that focuses primarily on Flor in the Florence area. Sure. It's much smaller than we are. Um, we have filled a role, particularly over the last three years, of, of also being um, the primary disaster responder for animals. So, so a holiday farm fire, which I've, I've mentioned, um, we we took in over a hundred animals that were um, evacuated from the fire areas. We provided and set up with the veterinarians in this area triage support for animals that were being evacuated out of that, that area. Um, in the Cedar Creek fire, um, just recently, what last year, mm. um, we set up alongside the Red Cross. And um, so while they sheltered uh, about 140 humans, we were right next door at the fairgrounds sheltering about 140 animals, um, which allowed basically people to feel safe evacuating from their homes in, in the middle of this fire situation. Um, Greenhouse the only organization that is capable of that level of response, either remotely um, you know, an offsite at the fairgrounds, and we're the only ones that have a, a facility now. Yeah, um, that's true. As of 2012, there there used to be two shelters, um, two independent shelters. In 2012, we um, took on the contract to become the shelter, and um, and honestly, it would be you know devastating for this community if we didn't exist. Yeah. Um, if if we didn't exist, literally. Dogs would be roaming free. People wouldn't be reunited with with their animals. There would be bites and and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to imagine. Um, my last question for you is sort of you've talked about that you went through a recent expansion, but I wanted to kind of get 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 your uh, 
get your words on where you'd like to see Green Hill go in the near future or what, what maybe uh, further expansion or further services, kind of what is your, uh, what's your main goal, say, for the near future? Sure. What we are seeing is that um, the need continues <laughs> and continues to grow. Um, I talked about disaster response. Um, this community, um, being where it is, um, is, is going to continue seeing uh, increased uh, risk and risk and um, impacts of fires, forest fires. Um, we are experiencing uh, heat events that have required uh, cooling shelters, which we've participated in. Um, obviously, uh, during cold weather, we need shelters to um, shelter individuals um, from extreme cold as well. Hmm. Um, that is work, you know, as I said, like the heart of what we do is anchored at the shelter. Um, but we're finding that the community really needs us to be out more. And those are programs we need to figure out how to um, build and sustain. Um, in addition to that, there is in this community no, no longer any support for wildlife rehabilitation. Hmm. Um, aside from the Cascade uh, Raptor Center, sure. that provides some limited support for that. There's definitely more need. Um, there is also no um, large-scale um, shelter for large animals. Um, recently in Lane County, there was uh, a horse um, issue that came up with multiple horses that mm -hmm. were being neglected. Um, the, the, the response to that had to involve outside response, um, outside areas. And, um, and this community could really use more support for that. And so we are, we're looking at... at going in that direction yeah that's exciting that's exciting well carrie lieberman the executive director for green hill really appreciate you uh you, you sharing your story and talking about the amazing things that green hill does thank you that was our conversation with carrie lieberman the executive director of green hill humane society lieberman is excited to expand services in our community and provide even more support and help for people and pets alike this has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunn, your host. Thanks for listening.